Job chapter 14, verse number 7. This is what it reads. For there is hope for a tree. If it is cut down, that it will sprout again. Isn't that powerful? And that its tender shoots or branches will not cease. Though its root may grow old in the earth and its stump may die in the ground. Verse number nine, yet at the scent of water, it will bud and bring forth branches like a plant. I want to preach to you for a few moments from the very simple subject, the scent of water. The scent of water. There are a few things that I find very interesting in chapter 14 of the book of Job. You really have to read the entire chapter 14 of, of Job, starting at verse number 1, to really understand the temperament, the attitude, and the feeling of Job. And right away you'll notice where he finds himself, and then in the middle of all of that we read the verses that we just finished reading. The first thing that jumps out to me when we look at chapter number 14 in the book of Job, number one is you find the predicament of the tree. Someone say the predicament of the tree. It's amazing that Job uses this analogy of anything that he could use as an example of any picture that he could try to paint to describe where he felt he was. And at the same time, because he was inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, could paint a picture for you and I where we find ourselves today. He lays out the predicament of a tree. A tree that somehow has endured destruction. How do we know that? Because there's a part there in verse number seven that says, if it is cut down. You see, in this passage, Job is mourning. And he's mourning really the pain and uncertainties of life. He starts out in verse number one, talking about the life of a man being full of trouble from birth. It's amazing because the moment that Job goes through his time of trial and testing, he then reflects on his entire life. And what's amazing to me is that because of what he's going through in that moment, it kind of clouds his memory of everything in the past. You mean to tell me, Job, that you've always struggled? You mean to tell me that from day one you've had nothing but trouble? But it seems like when you're in the middle of trouble, that's all you see. Job forgot about when he married his precious wife, how much joy that brought to his life. Job forgot about the birth of his many children and how much excitement that brought into him. Job forgot that how his business exploded and he had cattle and he had harvests and he had houses and he had so many things. He forgot about all of that because all he could see is trouble. I caution you today to not look on everything that has gone on or is going on in your life by a challenge, by a struggle, or by a difficulty that you are facing here today because yes, you may be trying. Yes, you may be troubled, but I promise you God's been good to you. I promise you he's blessed you. I promise you he's brought you out of so many things. And so Job, he says, that man being full of trouble from birth. And then in verse 2, he mentions that a person's life is like a flower. And then in verse 7, he begins 
again with this reading of the tree. A tree that's full of beauty, full of possibilities, full of delight and joy and blessing, full of life, grandeur and glory, only to be cut down. We don't know why it was cut down, maybe from a disaster. You know, because a storm can take down a large tree even with lots of roots. So maybe this tree was cut down from a disaster, from a storm. Can I tell you there are a lot of people that are broken today from the storms of life. Marital storms, health storms, emotional storms, satanic storms, storms of addiction, and even financial storms. Storms that have come against your and my life to cut us down. Not only could this tree been destroyed from a disaster, but maybe it was even cut down deliberately by someone with evil intentions. Can I pause and tell you that there are people all around us in our world today that have been beaten and broken by the evil in our world. And because they're so hurt and they're in so much pain, all they know is evil and pain. And they inflict that same pain on those around them. And so maybe somebody here is hurting today because somebody hurt you. And it's cut down your life. And although that tree experienced destruction verse number eight tells us that the tree even experiences decay verse eight says though its root may grow old in the earth in other words it's not as strong as it used to be something inside of that tree has caused it to begin to decay possibly as a result of some type of disease a sickness insects a wide variety of things can cause the root of a tree to die. Can I tell you that that's also a picture of some people's lives? Bitterness and anger and frustrations and discouragement, they can all become like those insects that eat away at your joy, that eat away at your peace, that eat away at your satisfaction. Life was going so good, but all of a sudden something happened and it came into your life and began to eat at you and, and slowly you lost your excitement and slowly you lost the joy of living for Jesus. So slowly your eyes have been taken away from what really matters so you're experiencing decay as a result of some spiritual disease the tree can also experience decay as a result of a drought it has had no water for so long that the root of a tree can wither and become rotten it has become cut off from its life source this also speaks to us that slowly over time, if we're not careful, we can disconnect from God. We can disconnect from his word and the church. And without realizing it, certain things start to dry up in our lives. And if we're not careful, they can become a begin to decay. That's why it's important to maintain your connection with God.
That's why it's important for you to develop a lifestyle of prayer. That's why it's important that it should never be that you open up your Bible for the first time in your week on a Sunday. Because that's where you and I, if we're not careful, slowly begin to disconnect from God. And then we begin to disconnect from his word. We disconnect from the church. We disconnect from God's people. And without realizing, we start to experience spiritual decay. All of a sudden, worship is no longer a priority. All of a sudden, the things that we used to be passionate about, now we're passionate about others that don't have anything to do with the kingdom of God and impacting people's lives. All of a sudden, our desire to serve begins to decay. And we no longer want to fulfill our purpose. But not only does this process unravel a little bit more from destruction to decay but the scripture even tells us that this tree can also experience and encounter death because verse number eight also says and its stump may die in the ground and so as Job is looking at his life because if I can just go ahead and tell you if you haven't realized it already Job's the tree He's not describing anybody else's situations or feelings. Job sees himself like that blossoming tree in the middle of the forest that is going through this process where it was cut down by trials and and somehow experienced destruction and, and decay. And now he looks at it with a sense of finality. Because in the Bible, when you see the words death, it's not always speaking of a literal death. It's speaking of a finality of sorts. And so Job is speaking here of the finality of certain things in his life. If you want to do a good reading, you can read this in detail. In verses 10 through 14 of this very same chapter. Death here also can speak of no future. Job's looking at his life and he has no hope, no sense of direction. It seems like he's lost his purpose. Death here can also speak of having no feeling. When a relationship dies, sometimes the feelings behind that relationship dies. Sometimes when hope is lost, then then there's a feeling of hopelessness. So here, death can also speak of having no feelings. What does that mean, preacher? You become so numb to the world around you. All of a sudden, you have no drive to change, to become better, or even to believe that things could even get better. You have resigned yourself to the fact that this is the way things have to be. That's how Job saw his life. And one day, everything changed for Job. He went from having a happy family, a successful business, to all of a sudden seeing one by one things being taken away. His health, his finances, his family, his outlook had all been attacked, had all been destroyed. And so Job describes himself as this tree. There's a finality of sorts. But not only can you See the predicament of this tree. But number two, I want you to notice 
the possibilities of the tree. Because as Job is going down this very somber, very reflective road, verse number 8 starts out with a very powerful statement. And it starts like this. He says, for there is hope. Wait a minute, Job. You're, 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 the, the, the first part of this chapter is starting to depress me. The, the first chart, the part of this chapter sounds real discouraging. I, I don't like sad stories. I, I don't like sad tales. But then Job, because the Spirit of God is leading Job to pen his experience and describe his life. All of a sudden, Job remembers, I know it looks bad. I, I, I know I feel really bad right now. I know I'm cut down. I know I feel like I'm destroyed. I, I know there's decay happening. I, I know there's a sense of finality in certain areas of my life but he says but there is hope I'm so glad today that no matter what I'm going through no matter what me and my family are facing no matter the challenges of life there is hope look at somebody real quick and tell them there's hope there's hope your situation may not be like mine but there's hope we might be going through some things right now but there is hope you don't have to give up you don't have to throw in the towel you don't have to end that relationship you don't have to take your life you have value because there is hope I'm sick in my body but there's hope I might be struggling my finances but there is hope my family might be falling apart but there's hope I might seem like I don't know where I'm going but there is hope look at somebody else and tell them there's hope never underestimate the power of hope. When a man says, there is no hope, there's hope. When the doctor says, there is no hope, can I tell you, there's always hope. When your family walks away saying, there is no hope, let me reassure you, there is hope. When society takes one long look at you and thinks there is no hope, I've come to tell you as a messenger of hope today, there is hope for you. How can you be so sure, preacher, as long as there's a God in heaven, as long as he's sitting on that throne, and may I remind you, he's still sitting on that throne as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. As long as there is a God on the throne, there is hope. It's not over. God's not done yet. I don't care what the doctors told you. There's hope. I don't care what people have told you. There's hope. I don't care if you feel like there's no way out. There is hope because there's a God whose name is Jesus and he's in this building here this morning. You can feel that hope because you lift up your hands right now and thank him for the hope that we have in him. It's a blessed hope. It's the hope that he'll never leave us nor forsake us. And it's a hope that one day he'll return for us. How powerful is hope? Hebrews says faith is the substance of things hoped for. That even our faith is built on hope. You put your faith in God. Why? Because there's hope. Let me show you how Paul describes it 
In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, if you can give me those verses, please. It says this. Therefore, remember, Paul is telling the church in Ephesus, that you once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Paul is saying, remember where you were before you came to Jesus. Remember how you were under the law. In other words, living in the flesh, doing what the flesh wanted. Your God and your king was the flesh. And because you lived there, you had no, no promise. You, had, you were strangers from the covenant. You had no hope and you were without God in the world. Can I tell you, that describes someone that doesn't know Jesus. And my dear friend that's visiting us here today, that may be listening and watching this service, can I tell you, you feel that way because you don't know Jesus. Oh, preacher, you don't know my family. You don't know my situation. I may not, but I do know of a God. His name is Jesus. That the moment he steps into your life, not only does he breathe hope into you, but when you give your life to him, you become part of a covenant of promise. You become a part of something that will outlast you and live beyond you. It's called eternal life. But then he says in verse 13, but now, someone say, but now. He's talking about where we were before Jesus. And now he says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were, af were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Paul says, remember where you were before you came to Christ. You were lost without hope and without God. You were living in the flesh with no covenant, strangers to the promises of God. But now in Christ Jesus, you have hope. Why? Because of what Jesus did on the cross we have hope we have been included we have been invited we have been made nigh because of the blood of Jesus what Jesus did on the cross gives us hope and it's easy for us to drag something or someone over into the hopeless column but can I tell you with God there's hope if you don't believe there's hope, ask Sarah, who gave birth at the age of 90, who laughed at God when the Lord told her she was going to have a child. If you think there's no hope, ask Naaman, who was healed of leprosy and had all kinds of questions when the prophet told him, go dip yourself in the Jordan, and God healed him. If you insist there's no hope, read about how Lazarus came forth from the grave when Jesus said, come forth four days after he died. And speaking of Abraham, Romans chapter 4, verses 18 through 20 says this, who contrary to hope, in hope believed. 
so that he became the father of many nations. According to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Verse 20, he did not waver at the promises of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. In verse 18, it says that when Abraham had no reason to hope when hope didn't even seem like an option guess what he did he hoped in God that's what it means who contrary to hope in other words he saw and said this is hopeless people told him Abraham you're crazy there's no reason for you to hope and when it looked like there was nothing to hope for Abraham said I'm gonna put my hope in God can I tell you I don't know what people have told you they might have told you you'll never get off of drugs you'll never get out of alcohol you'll never your relationship will never get better that child will never come back your family will never change the doctor said you'll never get better but the devil is a liar without hope we still hope with people telling us it's hopeless we put our hope in the ultimate authority his name is Jesus And when hope has been injected into your situation, you will not waver at the promises of God. But you will be encouraged and strengthened in your faith like Abraham. And what is the result of you grabbing a hold of hope? The scripture says you'll give glory to God. When you see your prayers answered, you're going to give glory to God. When you get that doctor's report back, you're going to give glory to God. When you see God open that door for you, you're going to give glory to God. When you experience the victory in that situation, God will get all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. All this was possible because Abraham had hope. I love the book of Lamentations because it's another letter being written as the prophet Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, is placed by God into the middle of a very difficult season for the people of Israel. So Jeremiah, he seems to personalize everything that's happening in God's people. And as he's personalizing his lament, persecution, People of Israel being taken out of their land into exile. He pens this entire book of Lamentations. One of my favorite chapters in all of that book is chapter 3, verses 19 through 25. We've always read the last part, or better yet, the middle part. But you got to read the, this passage in its entire context. So let's read it together. Lamentations chapter 3, verse number 19. I remember my affliction and my wandering. I'm reading from the NIV version. The bitterness and the gall. I well remember them. And my soul is downcast within me. Jeremiah says, I can see the situation of God's people. And ultimately because he's a prophet of the Lord speaking to God's people, he includes himself. And he says, I can remember when all this started and the affliction and the wandering that we went through and ultimately leaving our homes and the bitterness and the gall that filled our hearts. My soul was downcast. In other words, I felt depressed. Verse 21 comes. 
He said, yet this I call to mind. And therefore I have hope. Now, you, you have to read this very carefully. Because grammatically, you know already that he's not talking about something that has already happened. He's saying, I have hope and I call this to mind. What is it? Let me share it with you. This is why he has hope. This is what he brings to his mind. Verse 22, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Why didn't you get depressed, Jeremiah? Why didn't bitterness eat you alive? Why didn't your soul stay downcast? Why are you so encouraged, Jeremiah? Because I remembered the Lord's love is great. His compassions never fail. They're new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. So what do you now say, Jeremiah? Verse 24, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I'll wait for him. Verse 25, the Lord is good to those who hope in him. Why do you rejoice? Because he's good to those that have hope. Why do you keep serving the Lord? Because he's good to those whose hope is in him. To those who seek him. Why aren't you depressed? Because there's hope in him. Why aren't you, haven't you given up? Because there's hope in him. Why haven't you thrown in the towel? Because there's hope in the Lord. And Jeremiah says, that's why. That's why my soul is not downcast. That's, my, that's why my wandering ended pretty soon. That's why bitterness hasn't it take a hold of my life because the Lord's love is great. But, 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 but I love this. He says, because I call to mind. You know what that means? I remind myself. You want to keep yourself from depression? You want to keep yourself from bitterness and discouragement? Get up in the morning. Instead of complaining, start reminding yourself. Because this mind is funny. We remember what we want to. Ooh, I remember what she said to me that one day. Ooh, I'll never forget it. Ooh, I remember that brother that walked right by me at church and he didn't shake my hand. It was Sunday, November 12, 2023 at 11.59. I remember it like it was yesterday. But yet we forget that he's a, love, a God full of love. Yet we forget his compassions fail not. They're new every morning. His faithfulness is great. Oh, we forget that he protected us. That he was there with us. That he walked with us through those very dark valleys. Through those very narrow highways. Don't forget. Remind yourself if you have to. That God is great. His love is great. And his faithfulness. Verse 25 says, the Lord is good to those whose hope is in him. Let, let me try to finish this. You see the predicament of the tree? You see the possibilities of the tree? Now let's look at the prescription. 
for the tree. The only thing that Job says that this tree really needs, according to verse number 9, watch this, is the scent of water. Again, Job's the tree, okay? Job's the tree. He's not investigating someone else's life. He's talking about his own life. I'm downcast. The tree's destroyed. The tree's decaying. The tree's practically, it might as well just be dead. It's practically dead. He says, but with the mere scent of water, I don't need a rain. I don't need a, a deluge. I don't need a flood. But with the scent of water, everything changed. What a statement that Job makes of his own life. Can I tell you, for the child of God that has been cut down by the storms of life and experienced some type of destruction, notice two words in these three verses that paint the same picture. In verse 7, he says hope, and in verse 9, he says scent. What is the scent of water? The scent of water could actually be anything. The scent of water could be a message from God's word that speaks directly and boldly to your heart. The scent of water could be a Bible verse in your morning devotions that God uses to meet a need in your life. The scent of water could be a church service where the Holy Ghost revives the slumbering passions and rekindles the flame. The scent of water could be a testimony by one of your brothers and sisters in the Lord that brings joy to your heart. A scent of water could be a song that was sung with God's touch on it and reminds you of just how good God has been to you. A scent of water could be an answered prayer that reaffirms your faith in God's love for you. A scent of water could be a special act of kindness by someone that shows their love and appreciation for you. It could even be a move of God in a church service that reveals his plan for growth and blessing. But whatever it might be, a scent of water for a dying tree not only brings hope, but it actually brings life. Not only does it cause you to believe that things can change, but it has the power to change that very situation. I didn't come here to bulldoze you with the word of God. I didn't come here to, to try to shake hope back into your life. I simply invite you to take a scent. Simply invite you just to consider God's purposes and plans for your life. And that a scent of water can change everything for you. For the unbeliever that has been cut down and destroyed by sin, that feels devastated and dead. The scent of water for you, my friend, could be a message from a loved one letting you know they're praying for you. The scent of water could be a friend or an acquaintance that invites you to church. A scent of water could be a testimony shared by someone you know that's been changed by the power of God. The scent of water could be a sermon delivered from this pulpit on a Sunday 
or even a Bible verse that you read randomly somewhere, maybe on someone's t-shirt or a billboard or on a wall somewhere. But can I tell you, with the scent of water, my dear visiting friend, you can be delivered, you can be set free, and you can even be saved. And I just declare today and tell you that also for the unbelieving world, a child of God, the church of Jesus, could be a scent of water. That's why you work where you do. That's why you live in the apartment complex that you live in. That's why you live in the neighborhood that you live in. Because you're the scent of water. Every time you walk by, you lay out scent. Every time you show up at work, you're a scent. You're letting people know there's a God in heaven that wants to save you. There's a God in heaven that loves you. The church is the scent of water. Why is PFAC in this community? Because we're the scent of water. A prophet of God told me, I won't say who it is, but he doesn't come to this church. But a prophet of God told me about 10 years ago. He said, hey, uh, how long ago did your father and your family get here to Phoenix? And I said, well, in 1992. He said, um, what was South Phoenix like in 1992? And I began to describe to him what it was like. And some of you that are, live here and from here know that 92 was a little different than it is right now. And then he said, now describe what South Phoenix is like right now. And of course, at that time, our bishop was still pastoring. And I began to describe to him the houses and the stores and the businesses and the financial boom that this community has gone through and, and, and now 10 years later is going through again. And he said, do you think that's a coincidence? Do you think that an investor waited and then in 1992 said, let's spruce up South Phoenix? Do you think the council people in this city said, I think 1992 is a good chance to change the city of South Phoenix around? He said, when your father got here, and your family got here, you brought hope to this community. And he says, and as long as you stay here, there'll be hope in this community. And when I was reading this a few weeks ago, the Holy Ghost hit me in the chest once again and said, that's why you're here. Not because there's no other property. Not, not, not because somebody bought a, a parcel of ground and built a church here in the 50s and 60s and then we came here in the 80s. No, no, no. We're here because we're the scent. I said we're here because we're the scent of hope in this South Phoenix community. We're here to let people know you don't have to take your life. You don't have to die in drugs. You don't have to die in prison. You don't have to give up. There's hope. His name is Jesus. PFAC, you're the scent of water. But I'm not a preacher, Pastor. I'm barely baptized. I'm barely coming back. You're the scent to your family. You're the scent to your neighborhood. You're the scent to your co-worker. We're the scent of water. PFACs, we're the scent. We can't give up because we're the scent. If the pianist would come for the J, I'm going to finish this here. Because I love 
the breakdown that Job gives. You see, the scent of water, according to Job, can literally revive a tree. Job here says that the scent of water has suffered. Better yet, a tree has, this tree has suffered unimaginable things. And all you need to do is read the previous 13 chapters of the book of Job and find out all that Job went through. Because that's the tree. He says, but the scent of water has the power to revive it. Can I tell you, thanks be to God, that the scent of water can resurrect the destroyed life, the decayed life, and even the dead life. According to Job, the scent of water produces three things. I'll give them to you very quickly. Number one, the scent of water produces life. Someone say life. Because verse 7 says that. It will sprout again. That tree that's been devastated. That tree that is now decayed. That tree that seems like is dead. All of a sudden with a scent of water experiences life. It will sprout again. Proverbs 13 and 12 says hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when the desire comes it is a tree of life. The woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, all she said is I perceive that you're a prophet. What was happening? She got a scent that she had never smelled before and her life was forever changed. The soldier at the foot of the cross he said never has there been a man that spoke like him. What happened? The soldier got a scent. Thomas in the upper room after he doubted cried my Lord and my God. I was about to give up Thomas said but I got a scent. I got a smell of some water and everything change Peter's in his fishing boat he had followed Jesus for three and a half years and he gave up but all of a sudden he throws his fisherman's coat over him and he casts himself into ice cold water and he cries out it's the Lord wait a minute Peter I thought you were done with this Jesus business I thought you didn't want to be a fisher of men. I, I, I thought you wanted to go back to your old life. But all of a sudden, he got a scent. And he jumps out of that fishing boat. Doesn't wait for it to get to shore. He jumps out of that fishing boat and he cries out, it's the Lord. Those two disciples on the road to Emmaus were walking away discouraged. They started talking to one another and all of a sudden, they got a scent. And then one disciple looked at another and said, does not your heart burn within you? As he opened up the scriptures to us, what happened to those discouraged, depressed disciples that caused them then to run for Jesus? They got a scent. The Ethiopian eunuch in the book of Acts got a scent, got a whiff of water while reading Isaiah 53. And then a body of water stopped. Oh, it was right there along the chariot. And he stopped Philip and said, there's water, which forbids me from being baptized and Philip baptized the Ethiopian eunuch in the name of Jesus Paul on the road to Damascus said Lord what will you have me to do how does a persecutor then become a preacher a scent of water let me finish 
Not only is there life, but there's longevity. Verse 7 says this. It's tender shoots will not cease. Wait a minute. The tree's destroyed. The tree's decayed. The tree's dead. But a scent of water now produces longevity. Now, Job says, because of the water, the, the, the stems and the branches and the sprouts that are now coming out of the trunk of that believed to be decomposing, destroyed, decaying tree now will have shoots, now will have branches that will never cease, will never stop. They'll grow and they'll grow and they'll grow to the end of time. Why? For a mere scent of water. Look at what Jesus said. The Samaritan woman in John 4 and 14. But whoever drinks of the water, someone say of the water, that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The disciples in Acts 1 as they tarried in the upper room smelled of scent of water when the Holy Ghost came upon them. They may have been fearful and doubted, but when God showed up, that little nucleus came alive. Jesus had ascended. He was gone from their minds, but now he dwelt in them by the Holy Ghost, the living water, another comforter. And now Jesus would never leave them. And now he would do what he had promised them. What happens? You take a scent and then you take a drink and then it springs forth to everlasting life. And now in Jesus, that scent of water leads you to salvation. You want longevity? You want a new life? You want to turn over a new leaf? Go from taking a scent to taking a drink. Preacher, I can smell it. I feel it. There's a scent. But now, friend, after you've caught the scent, now it's time for you to take a drink. And say, this is what my family and I have been looking for. This is what we've been needing. We need the salvation of the Lord. And lastly, I close. Not only is there life and their longevity, but now, according to Job, there's limbs. Because verse number 9 says, it will bud and bring forth branches. This is a picture of strength, growth. Watch this. Outreach. Shade, a nesting place for birds and for life. So you get the scent of water and it gives you life. Things that were dead become alive. And all of a sudden you then have longevity. You drink of the water and now you've experienced eternal life. You go down in the water for the forgiveness of your sins like our sister's going to do today in the wonderful name of Jesus. And then you drink of this water and there's longevity. But here's the goal. Once you drink, then God wants you to sprout limbs. Why is that important? Watch this. Ezekiel 17 and 23 in the NIV. This is powerful. This is the Lord explain, uh, describing Israel. On the mountain heights of Israel, I will plant it. It will produce branches and bear fruit and become a splendid cedar. 
Birds of every kind will nest in it. They will find shelter in the shade of its branches. God is telling Israel, I'm going to replant you. And when I replant you, you're going to grow like a cedar. Like the cedars of Lebanon. You're going to grow in strength and in power. You're going to sprout limbs. You're going to have branches. And birds are going to come and nest. And you're going to provide shade. What does that mean? God is telling you, once you take a drink, once you experience eternal life, then I'm going to cause you to sprout branches. And then your family's going to come and find refuge. And then folks are going to come and find shade and find rest and find hope in you. And that's where God is trying to get the church, not just to drink, not just to scent, but now people find rest now we're witnesses now we're reaching out now it's not just getting blessed now I want to be a blessing stand with me today for somebody in this room you need the scent it's going to breathe life into you for somebody else you've caught the scent now it's time to drink of the water and thirdly, church, those of us that have caught the scent, those of us that have drunk of this living water, now it's time for our branches to sprout. Now it's time for us not to come to church alone anymore. Now it's time to fill that third row that you have in your car with people that need Jesus. Now it's time to walk over to your neighbor and say, neighbor, how about we have a Bible study? That coworker that's asking you all those questions, it's time for you to take your lunch break and open up the Word and give them a Bible study. That family of yours that's lost and confused, it's time for you to let your branches grow and say, cousins, come on. You don't have to live addicted. You don't have to live lost. There's hope for you. The hope that I found, it's now for you. PFAC, it's time to extend our branches. God has blessed us. God has been good to us. Some of us have enough testimonies about what God's done for us to go to heaven and back at least 10 times. Let those branches reach out. Say, man, I, I've been in this long enough now. It's time to start winning souls for Jesus. God bless me with a beautiful house. It's time to open up this house for Bible studies and cell groups. It's time for me to start bringing people to the house of God with me. It's time to start looking out because I've got the scent. I've drank of the water and now God says it's time to rent out. It's time to reach out. It's time to let others come and nest and find shade and find refuge in all that God has done for you. All it takes the scent of water and I love what Job says he says for there is hope for a tree if it is cut down that it will sprout again I've come to tell somebody there's hope there's hope for you you can sprout again you catch a hold of this scent today I want to invite to this altar Every individual under the sound of my voice that says, I need hope. I, I'm dealing with something that, that, that I want to believe. I, I want to catch that scent. I, I want to see some things in my life sprout again. I've been cut down 
by people. I've been cut down by circumstances. I've been cut down by issues. And just being honest, I've cut my own self down at times by the decisions that I make. But I believe there's hope for a tree. It will sprout again. It will live again. And I see that I can sense the scent of water in this building. If that's you, come and stand at this altar. It doesn't matter what it is. Because hope is being breathed into you right now.